Thank you so much for joining us on another episode of Extraordinary Joes. Today I'm joined by special guest Stuart Hall. Stuart serves as Director of Student Leadership for Orange, whatisorange.com. He provides vision and leadership for Influencer, that's spelled I-N-F-L-U-N-S-R, and he deeply desires to fuel the next generation of leaders worth following. Stuart speaks to tens of thousands of students, leaders, coaches, and parents each year, and is the co-author of three books, including The Seven Checkpoints and Max Q with Andy Stanley, and Wired for a Life of Worship, Leaders Edition with Louis Giglio. Stuart laughs incessantly and serves as volunteer high school girls basketball coach, and he and his beautiful wife Kelly reside just north of Atlanta and have three young adult children. Stuart, thanks for joining me on the show today. Brian, I, I can't believe you asked me to be on this this podcast. Um, I, well, we have we have tens of listeners, so uh, <laughs> it's a pretty big deal. <laughs> don't, Dude, you know, uh, don't thank you me know yet. I'm, you know I'm a Brian Henley fan, so thank you so much for allowing me to to chop it up with you today. Yeah, um, we always start with rapid fire, Stuart, if you are ready. Uh, yeah, I guess. All right, we'll see. We'll see. By the All way, right. you have a great radio voice. This really? Is, this is yeah. This is excellent. Well, that's encouraging. Good. <laughs> um, all right, here we go. Uh, coffee or tea? Uh, depends on when. You go like uh, coffee in the morning, tea in the afternoon. Well, are you talking about hot tea or iced tea? How, <laughs> well, it's, it's however you like to roll. <laughs> um, I just my wife is a coffee drinker, so she kind of got me started a couple of years ago and she and i love to wake up early and have a cup of coffee so yeah that that's cool but i also don't mind a, a nice iced tea every once in a while all right shoes or sandals no shoes <laughs> uh, and be- especially especially not sandals while you're wearing socks i'm not german that's <laughs> <laughs> how about beach or mountains beach Mm. With unequivocally unequivocally the beach really that is that is my wife's happy place in fact i am working exhaustively for us to be able to do that more consistently now that we're semi-empty nesters sure do y'all have a favorite spot to go any any <laughs> hey we've got a um we've got a, a couple of uh like uh, rentals down here that uh that we can put you up in it's it's uh it's not quite it's like not like the gulf i don't know if you've ever been down here yeah you've been down here yeah um but well, let me ever, let me pray about that you up, let me know let me pray about that yeah jesus said yes let's do that <laughs> uh, morning or night person Ooh, i'm a morning person i i drive my family crazy because i'm usually up by five five thirty just curious do you have a like a routine that you follow in the morning? Or I do. Kinda... I do. Like part of the reason I, well, I started getting up early, uh, because our kid, when our kids were young, I wanted to be able to spend time with them before they went to school. And I did, I wanted to get some things done, whether it was, you know, praying, meditating, time with God, reading. Um, and I, so I started when they were little, and now it's just kind of stuck. And the beautiful thing is I get so much work done before anybody actually wakes up mm. that it, 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 it allows me a ton of margin the rest of the day. Yeah. Nice. Uh, electric or regular toothbrush? Uh, I have this pulse thing, I think, that Kelly buys me. I don't even, I think that's maybe battery operated. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> but it does, but it's not electric. I don't plug it in. Right. Um, so. Okay. Uh, Maverick or Goose? You know, <clears throat> I, I I really dig Goose, even though he died. Right. Um, but I'm probably more like Maverick in that I'm a, I'm a bit more of a risk taker um, and fly by the seat of my pants. Isn't that what that flight instructor said about I, I, I think so. <laughs> Um, but I cannot wait to see t- this new Top Gun that's supposed to come out this summer. I've seen the trailer and it looks incredible. Is that this but, summer? I've been wondering yeah, when that's coming out. I think it comes out this summer, but if Val Kilmer is Iceman, I saw a picture of him recently and he is not in shape to be Iceman. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, mint or gum? Ooh, uh, I would probably say mint because Kelly says when I chew gum, I smack. Okay. Uh, here we go. We're going to go with a little heavy hitter here. Uh, okay. Hop, jump, or skip? Jump. Okay. I don't think I've ever skipped anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? It's probably more hop because even though I say jump, right. uh, my jump is probably more like a hop. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, hot. Regular or no yoga? Ooh, I would probably start regular, but I've heard such great things about hot yoga. Kelly's done hot yoga. Yeah. And she, like, once I get done with physical therapy, that's one of the things that we want to do. Um, so, yeah, I would say regular. Okay. Yoga, yoga, for every man listening to this thinking yoga is for a bunch of sissies, try to do it for an hour. Right. And you will you will be groaning and moaning for about two months. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I had a, a decently regular, um, I guess practice they say, um, mm -hmm. before all this stuff. And then I hadn't, hadn't gotten back into it, but I, you really know what, it. you're, you're such a centered guy. Like you, you stay such level emotional keel that I can see how yoga is a part of your daily routine <laughs> maybe i should just call, start calling you sensei that would probably i don't be... think so <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna give the audience the uh, inflated impression of who i am <laughs> uh, <clears throat> favorite childhood television show oh gosh favorite uh let's see starsky and hutch okay swat right. <laughs> um this is aging me isn't it Oh gosh! Well, uh, welcome back, Cotter. Okay, you remember that show? <laughs> I don't. I don't. <laughs> Cooley High. Uh, but I'll John definitely Travol look it up. John, Tra John Travolta was in it. Okay. Um. Yeah. Uh. I, good times. Um. One day at a time. <laughs> different strokes. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I'm old, dude. That's those are those are pre VHS days. That's uh, pathetic. How about if you had to have breakfast, lunch, or dinner for the only meal for the rest of your life, which would you choose? Oh, that's a great question. I think breakfast, because okay. you can you can make breakfast work it for anything. Because you can eat a late breakfast and it'd be brunch. And that's I have true. plenty of times I've had breakfast for dinner. Nice. I mean, isn't that the reason why Waffle House is what it is? That's true. So, I like I like the logic. So I'll here. go with breakfast. Good good, good answer. Um how much money would it uh, would it take to get you to skydive? It has to be a lot. I am I am deathly afraid of heights. In fact, one of my most embarrassing moments when we lived in Louisiana, it was I was on my roof trying to hang Christmas lights. Yeah, and I had frozen, paralyzed in fear. And my wife turns the corner, coming back from shopping, and I just remember her getting out of the car crying she was laughing so hard because i couldn't move <laughs> so that was me on an a-frame roof i cannot imagine being you know thousands of feet up in the air and jumping out i actually saw a video yesterday of a guy who jumped i want to say thirty-five thousand feet out of a plane with no parachute and landed in a net wow i know yeah there there are a lot of stupid people in the world uh, okay. Um, would you rather be in the water with an alligator or a shark? Ooh, that's a good one. Uh, underwater or above? Hmm. I would just say in the water. In the water? Half, half, is, half is, above and half under, I guess. Is there anybody with me? <clears throat> You're alone. Because if I'm if, if someone's with me, and I'm with a shark, I'll just cut my friend. But the the I'm probably going. I'll probably go alligator, and I would try as hard as I could to stay underwater because there is an urban legend that they cannot bite you while they're underwater. Mm, really? Um, and I just don't want to risk the whole punch a shark in the nose thing. I don't right. think that works. Yeah. Yeah. So you're going, if you're solo, you want to be with a gator. And if you're with somebody, if, then they're I'm out cutting, of luck. I'm cutting, I'm, I'm cutting my friend and swimming as fast as I can okay. because 
I don't have to be faster than the shark. I just have to be faster than the bleeding friend. Okay, so lesson learned. <laughs> don't be in the ocean with Stuart. Um, all right. Would you rather wrestle a bear or a snake? Oh, no question, a snake. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, it, it, when you're using the term wrestle. That's true. Um, yeah, that I I could I think I could end that wrestling match pretty quickly. Okay. So. Uh, all right, last one. Um, book that you are currently reading or that you've recently read that you enjoyed? Uh, I don't know if I enjoyed it. It rattled me. Um, I'm in the middle of it right now. It's called Slavery by Another Name. Okay. Um, and it documents how the, specifically the first four chapters are about the state of Alabama and how Jim Crow laws were already being instituted before the Civil War was over in the state of Alabama, how sheriffs obtained so much power in the South, um, and really points to the systemic oppression of our country, especially, you know, in the climate that we live in now. Um, I'm, I'm trying to do my homework so that for my black brothers and sisters, I can be educated and stand beside them. We're recording this on Juneteenth, which is June the 19th, which is another monumental day for um, African-Americans in our country. So that book, that book has flipped me on my ear. Powerful yeah. book. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. Um, okay, Stuart, thanks for playing along with the rapid fire. Uh, <clears throat> and I'm excited to dive into several topics today. Um, yep. How about, I want to start with, I guess, because it's kind of most most recent and uh, and and relevant to where we are now. You you just you were we were going to do this podcast, what a month and a half ago maybe. Um, yeah, we were. We were scheduled to do it a month and a half ago. That's right. And uh, you know, I got an email from you that just said, "Hey, I, regrettably, I just contracted COVID nineteen. Next two weeks are critical. Please pray for me." And then I spent the next you know, month and a half or whatever it's, you know, month following, um, your family on social media as they kind of documented and kept, you know, people that care about you guys updated. Um, that is a big question, but can you, can you kind of walk us through what that was like? Because I know for me and probably for, for the majority of people, <clears throat> there's a, I mean, there's a big difference between knowing that it's out there and experiencing it. So if, other than the fact that I know you went through it and then I followed your pat your, you know, sort of battle, um, mm. it still feels a little bit distant beside the fact that, you know, my life has been altered schedule wise, right? It's still a little bit like, what is this and how does it sure it, and what what's true, right? Because there's so much yeah. out there. Can you just tell us a little bit about what you yeah. went through and Yeah, I'm happy to. The the I spent all last summer, Brian, talking to leaders and high school students and middle school students about this idea that, <clears throat> excuse me, the opposite of shallow isn't deep. We have a we have a tendency to think that the opposite of shallow, as it relates to relationships with people, is deep. I think the opposite of shallow is personal. Mm. And once something is personal, it becomes deep to you. It doesn't right. become deep until it's personal. Sure. And uh, you know, what our country is experiencing with the pandemic and COVID-19 is extremely personal because I did contract the virus and uh, almost died several times. Uh, so it's deep. It's it's very deep to, to me. It's extremely deep to Kelly and our three kids. Um, we have three young adult children. Um, our son Grant is 20. 25 our oldest daughter is 22 she'll be 23 next month and then our youngest daughter is, is 20. Um, the interesting thing about my experience I started feeling bad uh, Kelly and I my wife Kelly and I went on a five-mile walk here we live uh, just north of Atlanta a little town called Buford I think you did a, an interview with um, coach Durden recently That's right. I actually am a community coach with coach Durden at Buford High School um, but we did a five mile walk here in our little city, a little town. Then the, that afternoon, that night, I started feeling bad. Um, just, you know, congested, that kind of thing. Four days later, uh, that feeling bad had gotten so bad that Kelly and I felt like I needed to go to the emergency room. I went to the emergency room on March the 29th. Uh, 
what most people don't realize about what's happening with the pandemic, Brian, is that when we got to the emergency room, we went to Northside Hospital in Forsyth County. Uh, we pulled up to the entrance. There was a tent set up. They took my temperature. I went inside and Kelly couldn't, couldn't mm -hmm. come in. Yeah. I also mistakenly did not take my phone with me. So for a couple of hours, she has no idea what's happening with uh, me or well, to me. Yeah. Um, but they didn't have enough tests at the time to test me. I didn't have enough symptoms in their estimation to admit me. They took a x-ray of my chest and their words exactly. They were 97% sure I had COVID-19, but because they didn't have enough tests and I didn't have enough symptoms, they sent me home to self-quarantine. Um, and that's probably when I emailed you during that time when I came home, I literally went up to my bedroom and didn't come out. Wow. Um, self-quarantine myself. Uh, and I got progressively, I mean, significantly worse during that time. My, uh, my fever was spiking to 105. Kelly would, Kelly could get it down to like 101 with Tylenol, but it stayed spiked. Um, and then this is, uh, something that I think your listeners will find interesting and, uh, it's a part of our story. I'm not making a statement. It's just what happened. Uh, we were put in touch with an infectious disease doctor and that infectious disease doctor on April the 3rd prescribed me hydroxychloroquine. Mm. I started taking that drug and I did not sleep for 72 hours. Oh, wow. My heart started racing. Um, long story short, April the 6th, I just felt awful. Obviously, I hadn't slept in, you know, 48, you know, 72 hours. Um, and one o'clock in the morning on April the 7th, uh, my Kelly and I put off going back to the emergency room because here's what we knew, because at this time the pandemic had started, you know, there was momentum and you could see what was happening. Families weren't allowed in the hospital. And we knew that if I was admitted into the hospital, they were probably going to intubate me and we were going to be separated. Yeah. And so uh, Kelly was insisting we need to go. And I'm like, no, mm -hmm. let's just see if the food, you know, if it'll, break if it'll stop and i just got to a point where i need to go so they rushed me to the er um and once i got there kelly was able to go in with me then because i was so severe uh and it, the a cardiologist came out to her and said your husband has either had a heart attack or is having a heart attack mm. now i probably should say this from the get-go i do not remember anything from i remember watching the movie creed in my bedroom the night of april the 6th and the next thing i remember brian is coming out of a medically induced coma and icu 20 something days later oh, wow. so everything i'm telling you has had to be told to me because i don't remember um but they intubated me they had to put a stent in my heart uh, put me on a heart pump. I had developed congestive heart failure. I had pneumonia. And what every doctor to a doctor has told us since is that what the virus does is it attacks your blood. Um, and every doctor to a doctor has told me and assured me that I did not have some pre-existing heart issue. In fact, I just had a stress test a couple months before um, that what, what, had, what happens with the virus and there's a very high probability that hydroxychloroquine contributed to this is that your blood clots. And so I had a hundred percent blockage in my main artery of my heart, along with having the virus, having pneumonia, all that kind of stuff. So what transpired from there is a 20 something day roller coaster that Kelly and our children experienced all the trauma wow. uh, because I was out of it. Um, yeah. I don't remember anything. What I do know is that doctors and nurses fought their tails off for my life. There was one point we found this after the, found this out after the fact, our palliative care doctor told us two weeks after I got home that there was one point where I had developed a bacterial infection that was more dangerous than the virus that I had to the point where nurses and doctors were afraid to go in my room oh, wow. because of how dangerous that infection was. 
And then there was another point where six or seven doctors, uh, I was stable most of the time, but there was so many setbacks. And one of the major setbacks, they had planned to excavate me and I vomited into my ventilator with, and that vomit went into my body, made my body septic. I developed bleeding ulcers and, you know, six or seven doctors at one point are standing around my body going, what do we do? He's dying. And thank God there was a kidney doctor, Dr. Harish, who happened to be in the room and he called my wife. It probably should be noted that my wife and children had, they were in, they walked around in the parking lot that first night and just prayed for me. They could eventually they kicked Kelly out of the hospital. My, our two daughters had driven to the rush to the hospital because of how dire things were. Mm. They walked around the parking lot all night praying for me. Um, and they they are made to go home and quarantine because there was worry that they had contracted the virus. So they can't leave. And so the only communication they have is with a palliative nurse and nurses on call with me. And so Dr. Harish called Kelly and asked her if he could uh, try this low risk procedure that they use on sickle cell patients. He said, your husband's dying. You're not, you know, you have nothing to lose and it may work. Uh, He wanted to do this plasma exchange, not an antibody plasma exchange that people are using now, but just a, a plasma exchange where they would filter my blood out of my body and put, you know, plasma back in fresh plasma back in. And it literally saved my life. They had planned to do three um, by every indication and all the stories I've heard at the end of that first 24 hours, my eyes were open. I was alert. I was wanting to watch television, even though I was still intubated on a ventilator. They did a second one the next day. The first one was on April the 21st. They did another one on April the 22nd. They were supposed to do one on April the 23rd, but the first two worked so well that I think that was midweek. And by Friday, they were taking me off the ventilator and I was on the road to recovery. So it's, uh, you know, the the thing that I want people to hear, and you may ask me questions about this and I apologize if I'm jumping the gun. The, the thing that, that I want people to hear about the virus is that it is real. Um, the, the part that's the most frustrating and difficult for us as a family is because it's not personal to a lot of people and because the pandemic is affecting people by not being able to go and do what they normally do, it certainly has had an economic effect. You know, your listeners should know that my wife owns two businesses. Um, Not only do I work for an organization, but I have a couple of other businesses and those other businesses and my wife's two businesses are based on events. All of that income went away. So it's not like we weren't impacted economically. Right. But the thing that's most frustrating, and it really is disrespectful, is when people talk about conspiracy conspiracy theories and it's not real. It's disrespectful to doctors and nurses that are putting their life on the line to Mm -hmm. fight for these patients. And the doctors and nurses at Northside Hospital who risk their life every single day to keep me alive, that's what we think about when we watch the news and people are, you know, now that people, the country is semi opening back up and people are so flippant with it. Right. I mean, let's keep in mind that, you know, I, I would assume that today the number will hit 118,000 people have died from this virus. Yeah. Uh, it is, it is extremely, extremely real and extremely dangerous. Sorry that I tried to go you know, the 411 version, because there's a lot more details. No, that's, <laughs> wow. What, a, what was it like? Um, like, what what did it look like for you when you, when you got out, Stuart, and you came home? It, was there, a, you know, process you had to follow, things yeah, you had to continue yeah. to well, do? Yeah, well, I, I lost 30 pounds in the hospital. Wow. Uh, it's amazing what happens when you are laying still, yeah. Um, and cannot move, um, my body atrophy, like the muscle atrophy in my body. 
I had so much medicine in my system that I had to relearn how to walk my brain. Wow. It took my brain a couple of days just to compute putting one foot in front of the other. Um, you know, losing 30 pounds to be very candid with you, Brian, I was, I was just a weak mess. Yeah. Um, there was concern about neurological damage. Um, and rightfully so, because I just was having a difficult time once I was coming out of the medically induced coma. Uh, but I, you know, I came home on a Saturday and that next Monday I started physical therapy. Um, today will be the fifth day of the seventh week that I'm home. Mm. And, you know, I've gone from having to relearn how to walk to yesterday. I ran for five minutes on the treadmill. Um, you know, I'm probably 65% of who I was physically before I went into the hospital. Um, I've gained about eight pounds back, but my biggest deficit at this point is physically with stamina. Yeah. Um, I'm very fortunate. Most COVID survivors have permanent lung damage. And, uh, we had a follow-up visit with our pulmonary doctor two weeks ago and looked at x-rays of my my lungs and I have a little, I'm almost a hundred percent clear and I'll have no permanent lung damage, which is just a miracle in and of yeah. itself. Um, my heart is incredibly strong. Um, you know, I'm working out every day and it's, I, I tell everybody I'm fairly certain that my physical therapy doctors think that I am prepping for the NBA supplemental draft because they're trying <laughs> to kill me. Yeah. Um, I lived through COVID and a heart attack and I'm going to die. And <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I, the way that I look at it, <clears throat> I've been given another lease on life and I don't think that God made this happen to me, but I do think he wants to make it matter. Sure. And I want to join him in that. Yeah. The difficult part to be really honest with you is not me. It's my wife and our children who mm. experienced all the trauma. Right, right. Um, but there is no question in my mind, I would be remiss if I didn't say this, that there is no question in my mind that I am talking to you today because of the, the prayers and love of friends like you and my wife mm. and children and countless people around our country and the world who prayed for me. Sure. Yeah, this, uh, when just, I guess the biggest thing that... <clears throat> welled up in me aside from the immediate like relation of like just thinking about my family in that scenario and just all the emotions with that but is like for me how do you even begin to express the gratitude that i mean i know you've got to be i watched i saw one video i guess when you just gotten out when you spoke to the doctors but I, I just when feel I'm, a like, I'm a blubbering mess. Yeah. Hey, I mean, yeah. but and I, I feel like we're similar in this way, but I just, I feel like I would just have such a burden of gratitude and not even, <clears throat> I mean, I'm getting even emotional thinking about it, like, and not even know where to begin expressing it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, well, that, the, the particular video you're talking about when I left ICU, they did a parade for me in the hospital and you know, the halls are lined with all the doctors and nurses that fall for my life. Mm. Mm. Uh, and I did, and I still do. You're exactly right. Like I can't talk about it without getting emotional. Yeah. And I, what I wish I would have communicated better in that moment. If you listen and watch it carefully, all I can do is get the words, thank you out. Right. But that parade was really a celebration of them. It wasn't me. Mm. Because here's here's the reality, bro. I just laid there. <laughs> it was, you know, James talks about, the book of James talks about, James says, you show me your faith and I'll show you my works. Mm. And I, you know how grateful I am that pe- I am so incredibly grateful people were praying for me. But I'm more grateful that people decided to take their faith and put it into action. And these men and women who decided, you know what? I'm, we're going to work to keep this man alive. And that's what that moment really was. It was a celebration of their hard work because my story is not everybody's story. Yeah. You know, I, there are at least 118,000 pe- families in our country who've lost a loved one to the virus. Right. All right. So that's the show for today. Yeah. <laughs>
Yeah, that's an incredible story. Thanks for sharing that so candidly. Um, yep. Okay, huge pivot. Uh, there's yep. no, no easy segue, but uh, I, I'm really curious about, you know, you mentioned, um, man, it's hard to it's hard to just jump onto something new, but no, it's fine. Um, you mentioned in our or in our um, introduction, we talked about sort of what you do now, and, and your speaking and your uh, your work with youth. But I'm not even sure, and I feel like I've asked you before, and, and um, maybe I didn't listen very well. But what what's the background of like pre awesome Stewart youth guy? Like what what? <laughs> What 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 was going on before? What you do before you got into the yeah. the speaking and the writing and the influencing, or or have yeah. you always done that? I, I, I'm interested to know what what was what kind of led you into that direction and what you're doing before yeah. that. Yeah, that's a good question. Problem number one in your antidote is that I am awesome now. <laughs> this is extraordinary, um, Joe's man. Yeah. You're, you're the extraordinary Joe. So, I grew up in South Alabama. Uh, I am the son of a father who never graduated from high school. Um, and I became my dad's project as soon as I came out of the womb. Mm. My dad was an unbelievable high school basketball player who never graduated from high school. He had to quit high school his senior year because his mom died of cancer. Wow. And uh, so I, I, became, I, I was going to be everything my dad was not. So, you know, it was a two two sport academic all American in high school, uh, went to university of Alabama to play basketball my freshman year. Uh, I like to tell people that 98% of the regrets I have in life happened that year. Mm. Um, and, uh, came home that summer and started following Jesus. Um, I'm a per, you know, I'm a person of faith. God, God really rattled me that summer. I started following Jesus, decided to transfer, to a small NAIA school in Mobile, Alabama, where I'm from, and finished my basketball career there. I was communications major. I wanted to work for Sports Center. My dream would have been to be an anchor on Sports Center. Yeah. And uh, right before my senior year, I was going to the Philippines to play with athletes in action for the summer. Okay. And I went to be a camp counselor at a at a summer youth camp. I had 18 middle school boys in my room and I have never had so much fun <laughs> and I God absolutely wrecked my life. I realized just how broken I was for the next generation mm. because I saw myself in them. Yeah. And I just knew that that's what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. I decided not to go to the Philippines and uh, long story short, um, became a local church youth pastor and, you know, was a local church youth pastor for 13 years before I started working in the nonprofit world. So that's, that's the, the, the brief cliff notes version of what I was doing before what I was doing, what I'm doing now. Yeah. And, and currently, um, I, I guess, and just please correct me if I'm wrong, but, um, your wife, one of her businesses that you mentioned, she she manages, I guess, Christian speakers. Is that correct? Yeah, Christian and non Christian. She, she it, yeah, she's she's a equal opportunity employer. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, she her her company. Uh, it's a management company. They handle just itinerant communicators and artists. She has, okay. you know, bloggers and and influencers and musicians and hosts and you know the vast majority of them are communicators but those communicators speak in a wide array or to a wide array of audiences gotcha yes that's that's kelly's deal yeah and she and and you're kind of a part of the, not kind of but you're a part of that collection right so you i mean you go and speak. yeah i i, I yes yeah, friends with benefits <laughs> is what it is. um i the last thing I want to do is handle details about, a, you know, being invited to speak somewhere. So it actually started by her handling my schedule and, you know, all my, all my friends would go, man, your wife is so good at that. And she just created a company and yeah. has done really, really well. And, and I guess a 
in conjunction with that, you're, there's uh, tell us about Orange and your role and, and what kind of yeah. uh, what's the purpose yeah. behind that group? Yeah, what what beats in my heart more than anything else, what I am the most passionate about, Brian, is seeing the next generation, specifically high school students, middle school students, um, you know, early in your college years. I think that there has been a box built around teenage America. Mm -hmm. um, and especially when we talk about spiritual influence specifically, the capital C church is kind of uh, put this box around kids that makes them think that the only way you can be spiritually influential is to preach, sing and be a missionary. Right. The, 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 the other part of that is that most teenagers have never had anyone speak into their life or at least begin to help them get their feet pointed in a direction regarding what is it that you're gifted mm -hmm. to do? What is it that you're passionate about and how does that mesh with why you're on the planet? Mm. Um, you know, I don't remember who it was that said that the two most important days of your life is the day you're born and the day you figured out why you were born. Right. Right. So, we want to help the next generation discover their gifting, also discover what they're passionate about. There are a ton of people, there are adults listening to us, to us right now. They may be doing what they're gifted to do, but not passionate about, or they're doing what they're passionate about, but they're not gifted in doing no it. No doubt. And most of us miss the mark as it relates to why we're on the planet. Right. So our whole thing, whether it's in a faith, the faith-based community, um, high school athletic teams, or even in public and private schools, if we can help the next gener next generation begin to ask those questions, not that they're going to determine who it is and what it is they're going to do for the rest of who they're going to be and what they're going to do for the rest of their life, but at least start, you know, pointing their feet in the right direction. Right. Perhaps we can not only are our, our you know, the people that are the most fulfilled in life are those people who are doing what they're gifted to do and are passionate about doing, and that meshes with their purpose. Right. When you consider that this generation, the next generation right now, all the data shows that most of them will change occupations seven times in their lifetime. Wow. Not jobs, occupations. Hmm. And four of those occupations haven't even been invented yet because of technological advancement. Sure. And most of us, you know, a, a quick survey of that, you could make the assumption, well, that's part of the problem because culture is moving so quickly. I would propose that the bigger part of the problem is that we're not addressing the issue of gifting, passion, and purpose. Right. Um, and so that's, that's our work with Orange uh, as my role there as director of student leadership is how do we help the faith community do that? Influencer is a, a for-profit organization and it's an umbrella organization because not only are we focused on the faith community, but in the fall of this year, we're releasing uh, an initiative called captains that we want to help, you know, we want to help coaches better their teams by helping their student athletes become, you know, leaders that's nice. Um, yeah. I think any any high school coach would admit this, that it would be better to have a team full of captains rather than a team captain. Right. And so we want to help, you know, student athletes figure out what leadership is and then also help public and private schools with an initiative we're calling leader where we just help these young men and women who have, a, you know, the potential and propensity to lead to figure out what that means. Wow. Is is the um, I know influencer is is yeah we don't know how to spell obviously <laughs> because you had to spell that earlier I know it's up and active but um, or is the this captain's program the leader pro are these still kind of being prototyped are they up somewhere that I could look into no we, we yeah they're being prototyped okay. we'll launch those in the fall of this year nice that's awesome okay so much to uh, pull out of that um, so. Let me ask you, I know you've posted up and this, maybe it's been a while, but at, at one point it, it seemed like, um, it, maybe this particular topic had struck a nerve or you were trying to really, um, make this point that, that, that church or, or interaction with, 
the youth um, serving serving the youth didn't have to or need to always take place in the church. And there was like a big encouragement uh, from your, and I was just seeing this on social media of like, let's get out of this mindset that if the kid's not in youth group, he's doing something wrong or that he's mm. not involved and encouraging mm. church leaders. And I, and the, the whole like meet them where they're at thing. I, it, it, I know that's been said a lot, but to literally be where they are and encourage the place that they are serving instead of sort of forcing them to come to the place you're serving. Um, mm -hmm. Am I saying that right? And can you, can you elaborate on that for our listeners? Yeah. I, I mean, simply stated, we make the assumption that the only place that a kid can grow spiritually is within the context of your ministry and the four walls of your church. Yeah. And that's just not true. Uh, I, I have watched you personally have incredible influence spiritually on young women coaching basketball. Mm. Uh, Gene Durden is an incredible influence in the life of young ladies. Yeah. Um, and, and there are coaches and teachers and educators. There are bosses. There are business owners. There are executives that's, you know, they're trying to be Jesus with skin on in their respective sphere of influence. So the idea that there's no question, you're not at all hearing me say that church is not important. Right. But when we reduce uh influence to that small of a deal then i think i think we're in trouble the other part of that too um this is the best way i like to talk about it i think that religion dead religion and i'll use cameron our youngest daughter she plays soccer at the university of florida dead religion is cameron sitting in church thinking about playing soccer All right a vibrant faith is Cameron playing soccer, thinking about how she can make much of mm. the God who created her doing. What a great, yeah, what a great way to put it. And and so the goal is for us to help young men and women realize they've been created by God, for God, for the glory of God. Mm. And in whatever it is that you do, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, I'm pretty sure Paul said that, do it for the glory of God. And there is a point it, this makes me laugh all the time because well we t if you think about youth ministry america and i know your podcast is not specifically a youth ministry podcast but youth ministry america like we we literally choose relationships for kids we put them in small groups based on their their age their gender um where they live, where they go to school, everything has been decided for them for the most part within the context of the church. And then they go into the real world and, you know, by the age of 16, they're driving to practice and they're having to make their own way and they're having to try to figure things out. You know, the, the weakest conviction any kid has is the one they've never tested. Mm. It, you know, it's so easy for you to talk about how strong your convictions are while you've never tested those things. And so the goal of any youth leader and the goal really of any parent worth their salt is can my son or daughter function in a world that is absolutely crazy without losing their heart and soul? And the only way you figure that out is for them to be in that craziness. Yeah. And you know, we can either insulate them or we can prepare them. And I think what I was trying to say with that statement is let's, let's, let's be laser uber focused on preparing them instead of protecting them. Wow. So, um, what, what do you feel like, or are, and I know there's a bunch, but maybe a couple of the biggest challenges in regards to like, let's take influencer, the sort of the, the um, goal behind that. What do you think are maybe a couple of the biggest challenges when you're talking about uh, preparing those students to be people of influence or people of impact? Yeah. Well, one thing, one thing we, our culture has done is they have so, you know, recalibrated and misdefined what influence is. We, we have such a really jaded, messed up idea of leadership. When I, when we're talking about influence, we're not talking about, your capacity to get on social media and get thousands of followers so right. that you can be right. financially viable. That's not at all, you know, I, life is about people. Mm -hmm. 
policies, belief systems don't change people. People change people. Yeah. And what we want to help the next generation understand is that God has given you the gifting passion and the purpose that you have for you to have a platform, whether big or small, whether incredibly, insanely visible or almost invisible. But that platform, your life is either going to be a stage or a platform. And a stage is look at me. A platform is I, you know, all of this is for me to help people. Right. And, and that's a difficult thing with this generation. The other thing that is really hard, um, you know, your, your listeners should know that generation Z is considered the loneliest generation in the history of our country. Mm. They are the most multiracial generation in the history of our country by the year 2045 in America. If you are Caucasian, you will be the minority. By the way, I, I live just north of Atlanta, Georgia. In Atlanta, by the year 2030, if you're Caucasian, you'll be the minority in Atlanta. So they're the most multiracial generation. They're the most sexually fluid generation. They're the first post-Christian generation in the history of our country. They're the most self-directed, underprotected, and they're the most sex-saturated culture or generation in the history of our culture. So all of that comes into play when you're talking about them being prepared to lead this world mm. or to lead in this culture. In fact, a very good friend of ours who I consider an expert in, you know, he's a, to me, he's a futurist and he certainly understands um, generation from generation. He says that most youth ministries, most churches, and even most schools are perfectly positioned to lead kids in 1986. Wow that we are so behind. And so the, the, the biggest challenge for influencer is that most of our churches are preparing students to lead a world that no longer exists. Right. And, you know, it's interesting that we have been banging this drum for two years, for example, because this generation is so sexually fluid because they're so multiracial. We're seeing that across the board in our country right now. Yeah. And the question we have to ask as parents and leaders is, are we preparing this generation to lead that world? Because they will. They mm -hmm. are. You know, the thing that I am most encouraged about with the race issue in our country, with peaceful protests, is that they're being led by young people. I mean, you know, this generation has gotten such a bad rap, but young people are the ones that are leading the way. That is just so encouraging. So how do we help that? How do we help those students, you know, direct their energy, their blood, sweat, and tears for something that, you know, is positive. That's what we're after. Mm. How do we, how do we stay ahead of the, that curve, Stuart? You know, like how, I mean, I just, obviously when you say the church, it's a, it's a mm -hmm. colossal, uh, you know, thing to move. Um, sure. But, you know, I hate to say hypothetically, but in theory, how would we say here's a here's a a plan for us to to get a, get back sort of on track instead of being so far behind, so that the things that we're teaching and the activities that we're doing and the the message that we're speaking is more in line with where our kids are headed. Is there a, a mm -hmm. is, is there a quote unquote simple answer? Is there a way that we can even do that? The simplest answer I can give you is that it doesn't happen within the capital C church. Gotcha. If mom, if moms and dads will make a decision that we have to raise the children we have, not the children we were. Mm. And we, you know, sometimes we are fighting so hard. Uh, maybe the best way to think about it. I don't know if you know this story. You remember the show little house on the prairie? Yeah. You remember that show with, uh, Michael Landon. Mm -hmm. Michael Landon made a decision when that series came to an end. He, the name of the town was Walnut Grove, if you remember correctly. Okay. And he made a decision when they finally decided to cancel the series that the very last episode, all the townspeople in Walnut Grove blew the Walnut Grove up because they didn't want to give it to the railroad tycoon who wanted to buy it. So they literally blew it up. 
but there was also some symbolism in what Michael Landon did because it was his way of saying, you can't go back to the past. Yeah. We got to move forward. And, you know, we can't keep holding on to this, even though it was good for you. That's not where we live now. And so I, I just think, you know, Michael Landon blew up Walnut Grove. We've got to blow up our ideas of, you know, <laughs> the glory days weren't as glorious as you think they were. Yeah. And, you know, you're not Uncle Rico. Um, <laughs> we've got to move on, you know. And so what we want to do as parents, what we want to help moms and dads do, it doesn't mean that you lower your convictions or standards. It simply means you love your children where they are and you help prepare them to lead the world that they are living in now, not the world that you and I lived in then. Right. Um, and that takes a mom and dad that, you know, take a really r painfully honest look at themselves. You know, for me, Kelly and I, it starts with us. Right. You know, we want to, we want to raise children that can thrive in culture and not just survive it. Um, it, it for us, it means that the person example and teachings of Jesus are the preeminent things in our family. You know, he's the object of our faith. He's what we want to focus on. He's who we want to be like. Um, and sometimes to be honest with you, following Jesus means you're going to upset some people because he was revolutionary, but you know, your children are following your example and catching that more than you're teaching them. Yeah. That's what I would say. I don't think there's an easy antidote. Sure. Um, yeah, that makes that makes sense. Sorry, I couldn't give you a better. No, answer no, that. no. It's um, there. You know, there's a whole other, and we won't get into it. But you're you're right in terms of so many of the institutions that are, you know, sort of responsible for the growth and development of our young people today are behind, and uh, yeah. it, it's a big task to to fix that. Um, Stuart, I'm doing, uh, I'm doing, like, I hesitate to even say this because uh, if there were a scale, uh, I would be on the the very far beginning side with my big toe in, and you would be on the other end. I'm doing something similar on a much smaller scale in regards to um, my desire to impact students in some of these some very similar ways that you're talking about. Um, mm -hmm. so I'm passionate about, um, very much the same things that you're talking about. And it's such a, um, it's proving a, that feeble minds think <laughs> that's what it is. It's such a rewarding experience and a challenging experience to work with, um, that age of student and to help them figure out those tough questions. You know, mm -hmm. um, one of the things that we recently talked about in our last session was, you know, the importance, like you mentioned, of knowing, uh, having some roots and, and, and answering some of those tough questions before they get asked of you, you know, answering right. those tough questions sort of in a, in a safe but challenging place instead of answering for the very first time out in the thick of it. Um, mm -hmm. I'm curious what you've learned um, in your experience. What are the students sort of crying out for? What are they asking for? What are they saying like, hey, I need you to prepare me for this, or you guys are missing this. I, this is what we need. Have you yeah. have you heard that sort of call? I don't think I don't think teenagers say that or articulate that uh, verbatim. Sure, not I explicitly, they, right? I but think, like, yeah, they're they're not explicit with that. I, I think I think a teenager, regardless of where they are in their teenage years, will always gravitate to the oldest person in the room who takes them seriously. I think our issue is we don't take teenagers seriously. Mm. We, we think this is, you know, you're just going to have to endure these, these years and eventually you'll become a young adult and then we'll take you seriously. The mom and dad, the coach, the teacher, the leader who's listening to this, the more you take teenagers seriously, the more influence you will have with them. Mm. The other thing that I think it's important to remember is that influence and leadership are choices. You're not born a leader. You choose to lead. And what we're finding is that the way we talk about it in the influencer vernacular, for example, uh, 
you choose integrity. You choose to be responsible to what is true. You choose humility. You choose first to go last or to put others in front of yourself. You choose excellence. You choose to create a better future by, you know, going the extra mile. That's, that's excellence. You choose that. You choose courage. You choose love over fear. You choose grit. Mm. You, you choose passion over distraction. And so all of, you know, those five things I just mentioned, courage, humility, integrity, excellence, and grit, you you see a teenager that begins to make those choices, and you see a teenager that really begins to flourish. Um, and so we feel like that's what teenagers are really help, asking for. How do I make these choices? Um, because they are choices, and it's, you know, we, we call it, you know, a thousand invisible mornings that every single day you're going to wake up and make a decision to you're going to you're either going to choose to put yourself first or other people first you're either going to choose you know passion over distraction or you're going to choose the distraction over your passion it's your choice and helping students begin to make those choices correctly is helping them set their feet on a path of success yeah man and then this this influencer and all this is in currently uh in action uh yeah. mostly through youth groups or also through teams yeah, or, yeah. Okay. It, it is exclusively through the faith community youth ministries in our country um we we wanted to start there yeah and as mentioned we'll we'll launch captains for high school athletic teams um, we'll probably run that through the athletic department of high schools and then leader will be for um for you know most of our public and private schools have leadership programs for students they just don't have the fuel we just want to provide the fuel we're not we're not trying to replace what they're already doing we just want to help them have have some more stuff sure and from what i can uh, can gather from influencer it looks like um the the biggest part of what you guys are doing is providing the content and sort of the the guidance right you're not uh sort of sending people in they're providing the the leadership but you're providing the content to help with that is that correct correct yeah there are so many people who have a pre-existing leadership program um but in in faith community circles and youth ministry circles it generally means meeting once a month and you know the youth pastor will try to figure out some sort of leadership lesson uh, the, the cool thing about what we do is we send the content directly to teenagers. So every week they're getting, you know, the first week of the month, we call every month an episode. Every episode is built around one of those five choices that I just mentioned. Um, we do an interview the first Friday of the month where we interview uh, a, a person of faith who is operating within a context of influence that's different than full-time vocational ministry, whether it's you know, general manager of an NFL team. Uh, I mean, we've, we interviewed Joshua Dubois, who was President Obama's faith advisor. For them to see that there are, you do not have to preach, sing, be a missionary to be spiritually influential. Right. That's the first Friday of every month. Second Friday of every month uh, is what we call a version where we take some historical story or some sort of antidote and in a short, you know, clip, uh, clippy way, um, we help students kind of begin to put some meat around the bones of that particular choice with this historical story or this antidote. Third, third week is what we call the interactive. That's actually coming out today for our subscribers. With the interactive, we ask students to watch a movie, watch these, you know, TED Talk, watch this YouTube clip, read this article, um, and, you know, just begin to write down your thoughts. And then the last Friday of every month, we call our mentor circles. Um, we think our churches are full of men and women who may not do full-time vocational ministry, but they're incredible leaders in their own sphere of influence. And it's a perfect person to have a conversation with, you know, a group of five students about what it means to lead in their context. Mm. And they are able at the end of that month to talk about everything they've watched, read, and learned. Um, and so that's the cycle every single month. That's uh, how it works. Wow. Stuart, I'm, continuously impressed by um just how you're using your gifts to influence and impact and um well you you need to lower your expectations <laughs> uh 
Uh, no, man, I, this is, this is, again, I, I, um, I don't know where, you know, it, for someone like me, it's hard. And I'm, maybe I shouldn't say this on air, but given, um, given the scope of our audience, I'm probably safe to say it. Um, for someone like me, I'm a little uncertain. It's hard for me to see where my stuff, you know, that, that, that the stuff that I'm doing can grow, you know, I'm, I'm working with 13 students right now in a local organization and I absolutely love it. Um, there's always that sort of whisper of like, you know, yeah, but is, is this is kind of just where you are and this is where you're going to stay. And there would be nothing wrong with that, but it's hard for me to sort of see this growing. Um, mm-hmm. anyways, the impact, the, the sort of the scope, uh, of what you're doing is somewhere that, um, I certainly aspire to be at some point. So I'm, it's great for me to, to hear everything that you're doing and to, to see your example. So I really appreciate that. Um, well, I, my, my whole thing, Brian, is there's, you know, good Lord. I, I tell so many youth leaders around our country, just the second that you think you're reaching teenage America, go to a high school football game and you'll realize as my uneloquent dad used to say, you're peeing in the ocean. <laughs> right, like, right. <laughs> I mean, there are so many teenagers that mm. desperately need us to help them. So, um, yeah, the more that we, the more people there are and more resources they have, the better chance we have to help them. You know, I, 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 our whole thing is we want you to be the best version of the person God created you to be. Sure. Uh, and so how can we help you do yeah. that? Um, to wrap up is something I've been kind of uh, noodling with and I'm not sure again where this one goes, but um, is this, this sort of one big thing and I know that's already sort of taken by Scott Van Pelt. So I got to work on the title, but um, <laughs> this, this, you know, my, my, I have this thought of like, uh, getting people on the podcast and maybe that, that probably shouldn't be doing a podcast like mine, um, that are, you know, uh, thought leaders in the area of, of parenting or, you know, the development of young people and just asking for, you know, 10 minutes of their time to ask them one question. And, um, mm-hmm. we've kind of hit on this, but I'm curious, uh, your, my sort of beta tester on this is like, what is the, what is sort of the one big thing if, if you were raising, uh, shoot a 10 year old in this time that you would want to teach them or have them know, uh, as they head into, you know, their future world. Oof. That may be, may be unfair, but I could, I could give a ton of cliches. That's the problem. I don't, sure. I don't want to be, you know, I, I, you know, I think Jesus's life and everything else is pretext, mm. you know, I, I, more than anything else with our three kids, we want them to know that. We also want them to know that, especially our daughters, like you are a strong woman. Uh, you know, there is nothing that you cannot do. Yeah. If you set your mind to it and you do not need to be afraid of being completely and wholly who you are. Yeah. Um, that, you know, we, we're good about telling our sons that, but for whatever reason, we, shy away from telling our daughters that. And I, I don't know how honest I can be on your podcast. Extremely. But I'm going, I'm, going, I'm about to drop a bomb. I'm, I'm going to, I'm about to drop a bomb. Okay. It amazes me that uh, a young man can be bold, assertive, and strong. And we call that young man a leader. And a young lady, a young lady can be bold, assertive, and strong. And we call her a bitch mm. Mm. when in reality, and my apologies to those of you that are offended by what I just said, but the the reality is she's just as much a leader as the young man. Yeah. And we've got to change our mindset about that. I, you know, Kelly and I want to launch our son and daughters into culture and they are with the confidence that the God who created them made them for a purpose He's given them gifting. They're passionate about something. And you know what? Sometimes it's, it, you know, in this crazy world with so many options, uh, part of the difficulty for the next generation is, okay, what am I really passionate about? Because you can be passionate about a lot of things. But if you can mesh that with your purpose, man, you're going to live a life of unbelievable contentment and and 
with the ultimate goal of considering others before yourself and helping people better their lives. That's to me why we're on the planet. Mm. Wow. Stuart. Again, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I said the B word. (laughs) Hey, I uh, am so grateful uh, that you've taken the time to join me. I'm so grateful that, um, that you came through. Am I the first person? Am I the first person to cuss on your podcast? Oh, listen, I had a, I had a, a, a New York, I had a New York comedian on, um, or a comedian who's in New York. And, uh, he asked me before we started, he's like, is it okay to curse? I'm like, well, you know, I don't mind if you like, you know, you'd be yourself, but let's try to keep it. And, uh, and he did, but no, you're not the first. So don't worry. Yeah. Okay. Good. <laughs> my coach at Alabama, one of my coaches at Alabama was one of the best cussers ever. And anybody that's like, you're like, you're like, man, that combination was unbelievable. And then I transferred to a NAI, NAI school that was a Baptist school. And the first time my coach got mad at me, you could just see his face turns beet red. And I'm just thinking to myself, he is about to absolutely let me have it. Yeah. And he goes, Jiminy Cricket. And I literally looked at him like, really? That's all you got? <laughs> Yeah. It was such a letdown. I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, well, Stuart, I, again, thanks for taking the time, man. And it's um, it's a privilege. I'm glad that, um, you know, glad is an understatement, but I, I'm so grateful that you came through the the challenges with the with your health, and um, thankful that you had people to help you get through that. And um, thanks for the. This is great. I'm gonna have to go back and listen to this several times. There's so much I I got out of this, and. Uh, so thanks, thanks for taking the time, and it's great to catch up with you and hear your voice and, and learn from you. Bro, thank you for praying for me. I miss those days when we sat beside each other on the bench and mm-hmm. talked about talked about officials and <laughs> all that kind of stuff. So I love you, bro. I'm yeah, proud of you. You too. Thank you, Stuart. And uh, I'll look forward to yeah, man. talking with you next time. Yeah, absolutely.